welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. This week we continue our journey with the Fifth Doctor and his TARDIS crew in The Visitation. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, companions and villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story. So in order to join in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, X slash Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. But I suppose, as always, I shall lead us off with the story recap. Please do. Thank you. Part 1. In 17th century London, a young woman named Elizabeth observes a shooting star in the sky above her home and sees it split into two parts, followed by a shower of sparks like a fireworks display. She rushes to the living room where her father, the local squire, is asleep by the fire and her brother William is cleaning his weapons. She wakes her father up and he groggily follows her to the window, but there is no evidence of the display she witnessed. The squire, a superstitious man, says it is a bad omen, but Elizabeth gently chides him for his old-fashioned beliefs. He complains about the cold, but his children say that it is a warm evening in addition to the roaring fire in the living room. He calls for his servant to bring him a nightcap, causing William to leave as he says his father drinks too much. He brings the weapons back to the storage cupboard and bids goodnight to the servant, who has returned from delivering the drink to his father. A few moments later, the servant screams in terror as he spots something in the corridor and turns to flee, but he is shot down by a blast of green energy. William rushes into the corridor to investigate and fires at the unseen figure as it approaches the servant's body. William retreats to the weapons cupboard, taking cover as the figure fires at him. The squire appears carrying a pair of pistols and demands to know what is going on. Suddenly the figure appears in the doorway and the squire fires at it, killing it. They then hear Elizabeth calling from upstairs and they rush to the dining room where they see an android dressed like a harlequin break through the main door. William hands a rifle to Elizabeth and all three open fire at the android. Meanwhile, on the TARDIS, the Doctor argues with Adric over his use of the exploration vehicle on the Kindle planet, saying he mustn't interfere with things he knows nothing about. Adric defends himself saying that no one was seriously harmed, but the Doctor reminds him that getting away with something doesn't mean it wasn't wrong. The Doctor then sends Nyssa to find Tegan so that they can bring her back to Heathrow. Once she is gone, the Doctor notices a fault in the control console and attends it whilst Adric says that Tegan doesn't like him. The Doctor tries to reassure him by saying that humanoids will sometimes say things to hide their true feelings before asking him to help with the fault. In her room, Tegan is finishing getting herself ready when she focuses on her reflection and tells Nyssa that the ordeal that she went through with the Mara has finally hit her. Nissa assures her that the ordeal is behind her and that she will be back to normal once the doctor drops her back to the airport. Tegan apologizes for any possible poor behavior on her part and embraces Nissa, telling her that she will miss her and the others. However, when they go to the console room, they see nothing but woods in the external view screen. A frustrated Tegan asks what's going on and Adric says that they have landed 300 years before the airport's construction. The Doctor apologises and reminds her that the TARDIS can be temperamental, but Tegan angrily brushes him off, saying that he is not much of a Time Lord before exiting the TARDIS. The Doctor asks what's wrong with her, and Nyssa says that Tegan is sad at the idea of leaving. The Doctor angrily says that she should just be honest, and they reluctantly agrees to follow his own advice when Nyssa and Adric suggest that he go talk to Tegan. The Doctor apologises to Tegan, and she does so as well, but reminds him of his promise to get her home. The Doctor comments on the opportunity of exploring the past, but Tegan says the air around them stinks. Adric points out a cloud of smoke nearby, and the Doctor says that it is sulphur. He says that they should go and investigate, and they head off towards the smoke, unaware that a scout in the trees has alerted the people doing the burning of their approach. As they get closer, 
The doctor says that he can also smell potassium nitrate in the smoke and says that the combination of the two makes a rudimentary form of gunpowder. Tegan suggests going back to the TARDIS and the doctor agrees when Nyssa points out a group of men carrying cudgels approaching them. However, they find themselves blocked by a pair of men who attack them, but the doctor and the others easily knock them to the ground before fleeing into the woods. Unfortunately, they lose their way and Adric says that he lost the homing beacon that Romana had previously given him. They carry on through the woods, but Adric falls and hurts his ankle. Suddenly, a man carrying a pair of pistols appears from up in a tree and offers to shelter them at his base. Tegan asks if they can trust him, but he says that they have little choice as he fires at the men pursuing them. The doctor accepts his help, and he and Nyssa carry Adric following the man's lead. He takes them to an abandoned barn, which he says that he's been living in, as all the villages, towns and cities have been closed off to prevent the spread of a plague that has recently appeared. He introduces himself as Richard Mace, and says that despite his appearance, he's actually an actor. The doctor asks him the, about the plague, and Mace says that the first case appeared at the same time as the shooting star. The doctor spots the strange necklace that he is wearing, and after Mace, who says that he found it in the barn, gives it to him, he shows it to Nyssa, who says that it is made of polygrite, a substance not from earth. The doctor tells everyone to split up and search the barn for anything else that looks out of place. The doctor explains to Adric that the shooting star was not naturally occurring, and that it may have been an alien ship crash landing. Nyssa calls his attention to a group of power packs she discovered, and the Doctor asks to be taken to meet the barn's owner. Mace brings them to the estate of the Squire, unaware that they are being followed again by the group of men they met earlier. They are nearly run over by a horse-drawn wagon, which Mace says belongs to the local miller, who is not a nice person. They arrive at the estate, but no one responds to their knocks on the door. The Doctor tells Nyssa to follow him, and the others are to wait and see if anyone comes to the door. Nyssa asks if the estate is empty, then why is the miller there? The doctor manages to pry open a window and they both enter the dining room. Nissa asks why the doctor thinks aliens from the ship are in the house, but he says that he is not sure and he is just looking for more clues. She then asks why he is concerned about the aliens and he says he doesn't want them causing any disturbances on Earth in the event that they can't repair their ship. He then spots signs of the firefight between the Squire's family and the Harlequin android. He follows the trail of the firefight to a dead end but points out that the fact that the stairs they are on just leads into a wall. He tells Nissa to go and get the others, but when they go back to the stairway, they find him missing. Suddenly, the door behind them slams shut, and they are here being locked. Part 2 Tegan and Nissa call out for the Doctor, and he appears from out of a wall, revealing it to be an illusion. He leads everyone through to the other side, and Adric and Tegan comment on the smell and stuffiness of the air. The Doctor says that it is soliton gas, and begins looking around for any other signs of the aliens. They eventually make their way into the cellar, and Nissa comments that the smell of the gas has gotten stronger. She and the doctor find a strange pod emitting the gas and begin to examine it before Tegan brings her attention to a stack of crates, all of which contain rats. On the other side of the room, Mace is sampling a cask of wine when Adric notices a robed figure appear. Mace throws Adric to the ground, inadvertently knocking him out before firing at the figure, which is the Harlequin android wearing a skull mask. Tegan throws a pot at it and the android shoots her with a beam of energy, knocking her to the floor before turning its attention back to Mace. The doctor tells everyone to get out whilst he tinkers with the gas pod. Mace runs out to find the illusionary wall has solidified, but Nyssa finds a secret control panel that removes it completely, allowing them to run up the stairs, but Nyssa hesitates, calling out for the doctor to come with them. In the cellar, the doctor tries to rouse his companions, but they are completely unconscious, and he is forced to flee as the android shoots at him, promising that he will come back to save them. He catches up to Nyssa and Mace, who is adamant that the figure they saw in the cellar was dead. 
Doctor tries to explain that it is actually an android wearing a disguise to scare intruders off. Mace tries to leave, but the Doctor grabs him and drags him into the dining room, saying that he needs him to help save Adric and Tegan. He explains that the necklace Mace found is actually a control pendant used to control inmates on prison planets. The Doctor places one of the power packs Nissa found earlier onto it, and the necklace begins to glow, but Mace says that it is a trick. Meanwhile, back in the cellar, the android carries Adric and Tegan through another illusionary wall and puts them on a surgical table where they start to slowly awaken. A figure in the shadows is watching the doctor on a monitor and demands to know who he is, saying that he is clearly an alien. Adric and Tegan say that he is delusional, but the figure comments on the knowledge the doctor has exhibited as well as Tegan's and Adric's futuristic clothing. He angrily demands that they tell him the truth and he emerges from the shadows, revealing himself to be a fish-like creature. Back in the dining hall, Mace refuses to help and the Doctor tells Nissa they need to get back to the TARDIS so they can create some sonic-based weaponry that might destroy the android. Nissa says the android is too dangerous to confront with improvised weaponry, but the Doctor frustratedly says that they have no other choice. Their departure is noticed by the fish creature, who mocks Adric and Tegan for being indispensable. He orders the android to activate the people that they have enslaved in the surrounding area to capture the Doctor and the others. He then says he wants another group to be sent to look for the TARDIS, which Adric and Tegan had reluctantly told him about. Outside the estate, Mace notices a strange craft half buried in the ground and they go to investigate it. The Doctor reveals that it is an escape pod from a starship and explains how it works to the confused Mace. The Doctor says that the pod must have been one of the comets that was seen in the sky and the other was the main ship burning up on entry. He identifies the ship as being created by a race called the Terraleptals and wonders how many it could carry. He says that they should go back to the TARDIS to see if it has any information on how to defeat the androids. May says that he will go with them, saying that he has little choice but to accept the events that are unfolding. However, as they leave, they are confronted by a group of enslaved poachers. Back in the cellar, the android places Tegan and Adric in a locked room. Adric berates himself for mentioning the TARDIS, but Tegan says that both of them spoke about it and would have been tortured otherwise. They begin looking for a way out. Tegan notices the key is still in the lock, but neither of them can think of a way to get it inside. She then notices a wooden fanlight above the door and tells Adric to get a table nearby for her to stand on. She tells him to hold it steady while she prizes the wooden panels off. Back at the escape pod, Mace says that he can scare off the poachers with his pistols, even though they aren't loaded but the Doctor says the control bracelets he can see them wearing override their fear impulses. They rush back inside the pod and seal it off. Mace loads his pistols whilst the Doctor looks for another potential way out of the... Sorry, no. Mace loads his pistols whilst the Doctor looks for another potential way out as one of the poachers starts chopping at the pod door with an axe. He finds an emergency exit and blasts it open, allowing them to escape. The poachers report this back to the Terraleptal and says that they have escaped. The Terraleptal orders them to follow after the doctor so they can find his TARDIS. He then notices an alarm going off in the house and sends the android to deal with it. The android goes into the dining room where he finds Adric and Tegan trying to open a window. Tegan draws the android's fire whilst telling Adric to go and get help. She then surrenders to the android. In the woods, Mace says that he is exhausted and can't go any further. He says that he needs a horse like the one the miller has, and the doctor says he wants to go find the miller as he must be involved with the Terraleptals. He sends Nissa back to the TARDIS to begin work on the sonic weapons, whilst he and Mace go to find the miller. Mace reluctantly follows him, saying that he is a coward by nature. 
They reach the miller's barn and the doctor calls out for him. The miller appears but completely ignores them as he gets on his cart and drives off. The doctor says they need to get back to the TARDIS but they are confronted by a group of villagers who claim they are carrying the plague. Doctor and Mace protest as they are apprehended but the villagers ignore them as they hold them in place for our man carrying a sight to behead them. Part 3 A village elder rushes in accompanied by the head poacher and stops the execution. He tells the villagers that there is a bounty on the head of the Doctor and Mace and orders them to be locked up. As they are being led away, the Doctor notices a control bracelet on the Elder's wrist. The Elder then sends a message to the Terraleptal, who orders that the Doctor be brought to the house immediately. He then turns back to face Tegan, who is now also wearing a control bracelet, and orders her to bring a tray of glass vials filled with blue liquid into the cellar with the cage rats. Meanwhile, Adric returns to the TARDIS and tells Nyssa, who is working on the sonic weaponry, what happened with Tegan. He asks where the Doctor is, and when Nyssa tells him, he bemoans the fact that the Doctor is never around when he is really needed. He then asks what Nyssa is doing, and she explains the plan that the Doctor came up with. She says that it would go quicker if he was there to help, and Adric says that he would go look for him, but Nyssa says no, stating that they can't risk losing both him and the Doctor. In the cell... Mace morosely reflects on the events of the last day, but the doctor tells him to snap out of it as they need to get the bracelet off the elder, who he says is approaching the cell. The elder comes in, accompanied by the poacher, and the doctor thanks him for stopping the execution. He goes to shake his hand, and Mace knocks out the poacher, giving the doctor a chance to snatch the power pack from the elder's bracelet. However, their escape is blocked by more villagers, and so the doctor shuts the door to the cell again. He then takes the power pack from the poacher's bracelet, which is detected by the Tarleptal, who orders the android to retrieve the Doctor and Mace from the barn. Outside, the Elder regains his composure, but says that he can't remember what happened, leading the villagers to assume that he has been bewitched by the Doctor. Their discontent is heard by Mace and the Doctor, who says they need to find a way out. Mace takes a knife from the poacher and says he will try to loosen some of the planks on the barn wall. In the cellar, the Terraleptal contacts others of his race who are currently stationed in London, telling them that he has sent more vials to them. He also tells them about the Doctor and the TARDIS, which at that moment has been located by a group of poachers. Back at the barn, the android, in its disguise, breaks into the locked cell in order to free the Doctor and Mace. The commotion is heard by the villagers, who are preparing to burn the barn down, and they go to investigate. Suddenly, the android bursts from the cell door and grabs the sight from the executioner, which causes everyone to flee from the sight of this grim reaper. The android then brings the Doctor and Mace to the cellar, where the, they see Tegan sorting through the vials. The Doctor tries to get her to free her mind, but they are forced on to meet the Tarleptal. Mace is shocked by its appearance, but the Doctor carries on and asks after Adric. The Tarleptal orders him to be silent, but the Doctor says that he wants to help him get back to his own planet. The Terraleptal says that he can't go back, and the Doctor, noticing the scars on one side of his face, realises that he was a prisoner. The Terraleptal says that he was sent to a mining colony for his crimes, and is now a fugitive from the law. The Doctor says that he could take him to any planet so he could start a new colony there, but the Terraleptal refuses, saying that he doesn't want to live as a primitive. He then reminds the Doctor that he is his prisoner, and that he intends to take the TARDIS. The Doctor says that they won't be able to pilot it, citing their own crashed vehicle. The Terraleptal says that their ship was damaged by a meteor shower and that only himself and three others survived, one of whom was killed by the Squire. He says that he intends to wipe out humanity so that he and the others can claim the planet for themselves. Mace confronts the Terraleptal, but he is easily brushed aside and the Terraleptal orders him to be fitted with a control bracelet. 
Doctor says that even with their technology, the Tardeptals and their android won't stand a chance against humanity's armies, but the Tardeptal says that he has a plan that will make combat unnecessary. Back on the TARDIS, Adric grows frustrated with his inability to help Nyssa, as well as not being able to rescue Tegan. He says that he will go and look for the Doctor, ignoring Nyssa's protest that it is too dangerous. Her fears are proven to be true when she observes him being captured by a group of poachers shortly after he leaves the TARDIS. Back in the cellar, the Doctor is led to a locked room by the android and the Taraleptal, who says that he can't risk putting a control bracelet on him for fear that his mind would be too strong for it. Instead, he is placed in manacles and locked in the room whilst the Taraleptal oversees Mace and Tegan as they bring vials to the Miller's cart. He returns to the cell a short while later and discovers the Doctor hurriedly trying to place his sonic screwdriver back into his pocket. He tells the Doctor to drop it and he then blasts it, much to the Doctor's dismay. The Taraleptal says that he will soon be joining it, stating that he cannot risk letting the Doctor live for fear that he would find a way to interfere with his plans. He then shows how he will eradicate humanity and has Tegan bring in one of the crates with her rat in it. He injects it with one of the blue vials and says that it will carry a plague that will wipe out humanity, revealing that he has already injected thousands of other rats in preparation. The doctor says that he is no better than the humans he claims are primitive barbarians, but the Taraleptal says it is the only way his people can control the planet. He then has Mace come in and aim his weapons at the doctor, and says that if he attempts to escape, Mace and Tegan will kill him. After the Taraleptal leaves, the Doctor pleads with Tegan to break her conditioning and step away from the cage, which he has started to open. Part 4 The Doctor quickly takes one of the power packs that he took earlier and activates it towards Mace, causing a burst of electricity to erupt from it and causing Mace to drop his pistol. Tegan charges the Doctor, but he grapples her and manages to remove her power pack from her bracelet, causing her to collapse to the floor. He does the same to the stunned Mace and tells him that he will be fine in a few moments. The doctor checks to see if Tegan is okay and then asks for help getting out of his manacles. Mace asks for some wire and the doctor gives him a safety pin from his pocket, which Mace uses to pick the lock on the restraints. Mace then attempts to pick the lock on the door, but Tegan says that it won't work as the pin isn't strong enough. Tegan suggests using the pistol and the doctor uses it despite Mace's objections. The shot hits above the lock and Mace says that he wasted their only bullet, but the doctor tells him to try it. The door opens, and Mace convinces himself that he picked the lock as the others leave before him. They try to go to the control room, but the miller, who was sent back by the Taraleptal, seals it off, as well as locking the other door out of the cellar. The doctor tells Tegan and Mace to stack crates across the entranceway to the control room, whilst he tinkers with the access switch on the wall. He manages to open the entrance, and the miller goes to investigate, shooting at Tegan as she appears behind the pile of crates. The Doctor ambushes the Miller by pushing another stack of crates on top of him and then removes his power pack. Tegan says the Taraleptal must have gone ahead and the Doctor asks where the nearest city is, as the Taraleptal had mentioned going to one earlier. Mace says that London is the nearest and the Doctor tells him to look around for any clues as to where in the city they could have gone, holding his temper when Tegan makes a glib comment. They manage to find a stack of documents but they are all in Taraleptilian and unreadable. As they are doing this, the Doctor manages to deactivate the control panel, freeing the enslaved villagers. He then says that they must head to London where they will somehow find the base, again holding his temper when Tegan makes a reference to his skills at finding Heathrow. Meanwhile, out in the woods, the poachers lead Adric back to the estate, but run in fear when they encounter the android in its disguise. The android ignores Adric and it continues towards the TARDIS, unaware that Adric is following it. 
Back on the TARDIS, Nyssa finishes up a successful test of the sonic weapon when she sees Adric approaching the external view screen. She goes out to greet him, but he warns her of the android. Nyssa flees back inside as Adric attempts to hold it at bay, but the android clubs him to the ground. The android goes inside and attempts to destroy Nyssa's weapon, but its blast proves ineffective and it eventually blows up due to the sonic vibrations. Adric regains consciousness and goes back inside, congratulating Nyssa, who mourns the loss of the android, saying that it was a remarkable machine. Adric then says they need to find the Doctor and Tegan, suggesting that they go back to the house. Nyssa says that there could still be porches around, and Adric suggests using the TARDIS. Nyssa says it is too risky, as they could end up anywhere or anywhen, but Adric says the Doctor and Tegan could die if they don't try. They manage to land inside the dining room, where the Doctor and the others are attempting to find a way out. However, the TARDIS struggles to fully materialise, and Nyssa says that maybe the sonic weaponry damaged it. Adric thinks about what the Doctor would do, and then hits the console, which works, and the TARDIS successfully lands. They go outside to meet the others, but the Doctor acts very cold towards them, and heads inside the TARDIS. The others follow him, and Mace is amazed at the inner workings of the TARDIS. The Doctor says they need to find the Terroreptile and the pilots of the TARDIS to London, again acting brusque towards his companions. The Doctor activates his ship scanners, and after a few moments, the scanner reveals an anomaly, which the Doctor says is emissions from scientific equipment too advanced for the time period. They land the TARDIS in an area of the anomaly, and the Doctor spots the Miller's cart near a bakery, saying the Terroreptiles must be inside. They go inside, but find no one there. Adric trips over a box, and they hear movement in another room. Mace hands the Doctor a torch before leading the way with a rifle he took from the Squire's home. They go into the room where they find the terror leptile, who says that he means no harm and lowers his own weapon. The Doctor and Mace are confused by this, and the terror leptile tells his two colleagues to attack. Mace kills one of them with the rifle before attacking the leader. The Doctor grapples with the other one, dropping his torch in the process. Tegan rushes in and picks up Mace's discarded rifle to use as a club on the Doctor's opponent. They manage to subdue him as Mace does the same to the leader, whilst Adric and Nyssa tried to put out the fire that was caused by the Doctor's torch. They hear a beeping sound and the Doctor notices that one of the Terroreptile's guns has gone into overload and he tells everyone to get out. Nyssa asks if they should help them, but the Doctor says it is too late and the bakery goes up in flames. The Doctor tells him to throw all the vials from the Miller's cart into the fire in order to destroy the plague. Mace calls for Night Watchman to summon the Fire Brigade. The Doctor says he and the others need to leave and offers to take Mace with them, but Mace says that he will stay to fight the fire, jokingly saying that it is the safer option. The Doctor gives him the power disc from the control room as a memento of their journey together before going inside the TARDIS. Tegan asks if they should help fight the fire they caused, but the Doctor, knowing the historical significance of it, smiles as he says that this is one that should be allowed to run its course, promising that he will tell them all why at a later stage. End of the story. So, we're back to an arsonist doctor again, I see. Indeed, indeed. Yes. Just how many major fires is that man responsible for? Well, two so far, anyway. Actually, wait. Three, if you count the Priory building from Pyramids of Mars. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, do you have any interesting trivia about this fire starter, twisted fire starter? <laughs> I do have one that I looked up just because I was curious. So I 
I obviously knew um, what they were hinting at with the fire thing, right? So I was like, oh, mm. the Great Fire of London. But what I love is the fact that they didn't actually mention the Great Fire of London. Instead, they just zoomed in on the name of the lane. Yeah. Which is the lane where the Great Fire of London started in a bakery and so on. But I love that they don't um, spoon feed that to the audience. Uh, no. Bearing in mind, this is, this is primarily, when it's written, a primarily a British audience. Mm-hmm. It's just assumed that you would know what that meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I thought was good. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah, no, it was really. I thought it was a nice, clever touch to it. Yeah, but onto our normal trivia. So, the air date of the story is the fifteenth of February to the twenty third of February, nineteen eighty two. I find it very weird to do four part episodes with two air dates, like with the yeah two week window. Um, but this was this. Uh, the writer of the story is Eric Soward. Um, this is the first of five on-screen writing credits for Eric. We'll see his work again in Earthshock, Resurrection of the Daleks, A Fix with Santarans. What the fuck is that? That that is one that I doubt we will cover. That was the Jimmel Fixit special that was done. Oh, uh, why was that listed it, under normal episodes? That's weird. That was usually yeah. those episodes are listed separate. Okay, so actually, <laughs> yeah, this is the first of four on-screen writing credits. <laughs> Is the first no, no, I, I, like, I think, I think it is one of those things of like, okay, yeah, you can credit him with it, but we're, I'm not gonna fucking touch it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but also, it's not a normal episode. So yeah. I don't know why on the wiki they put that under it. Anyway, okay, cool. We'll... Earthshock, Earthshock, Resurrection of the Daleks, and Revelation of the Daleks. There we go. Um, he also wrote a number of Doctor Who novels and comics, and apparently a couple of uh, specials. Um, he did also serve as script editor. From Time Flight, which would be the last episode of season 19, to the penultimate episode of season 23. The director of the story is Peter Moffat. This is the second of six directing credits for Peter. We previously saw his work in State of Decay, and we'll see it again in Modern Undead, The Five Doctors, The Twin Dilemma, and The Two Doctors. The working titles for the story were The Invasion of the Plague Men and Plague Rats. I think the last one is a bit on the nose but okay um the story was inspired by the work of former girlfriend of eric sowards who had been studying the architecture which arose in the wake of the great fire of london she had observed that the black rats that carried the plague became virtually extinct within months of the great fire and he thought it would be um an interesting science fiction hook to sort of be like well why did the rats disappear like what Mm. happened um this is the only story credited to Eric that didn't feature a recurring villain, apart from the brief mention of the Mara, which likely wasn't Eric's own thing. It was likely just carried over um, by the script editor from the previous week. Um, he originally submitted this script um, for season 18, um, but Jonathan Turner felt that the narrative was too similar to Talons of Wen Chiang, um, and he wasn't particularly fond of the character of Richard Mace. He felt that he was a bit too whimsical. Um, which, if you remember, at the time, Jonathan Turner was trying to stamp out whimsy. Mm. Um, and I, uh, we might get to our character discussion, but I think it is obvious in some ways that the story wasn't really written for the characters that we have. Um, but I'm curious if you get that sense when we talk about the characters. Mm. Um, the opening sequence in the TARDIS obviously follows directly from Kinda. Um However, since the visitation was filmed before Kinda, again, another thing of this whole season being filmed out of order, um, 
Peter Davidson and Matthew Waterhouse had to act out their characters' responses to the events of Kinder based solely on the script. So, I mean, again, we could maybe talk about it in character discussion, but I do think their discussion doesn't feel as natural a follow-up from Kinder as Nissa and Tegan's discussion. I think that discussion felt much more natural. Mm. Um, but that may just be um, the Terileptal masks. There we go. Um, were produced by a freelance firm called Imagineering. Um, this is the first use of animatronics in the series. So there was animatronics um in the masks. Um, Eric attributed the name Terileptal to the words territorial reptiles. So we just took them and smashed them <laughs> together. Uh, the Terileptals were actually intended to return, uh, but those plans fell through, so we never see the Terileptals again. Um, one mask did end up being reused, though, in a modified form um, on a delegate in the Trial of Time Lord. So it, do get, it does get reused. Um, also, in terms of things being reused, one part of the Terileptals laboratory reuses a hematocyte crystal uh, of the form this of the This is the creepiest thing, right? For the last week, that word has been in my head for no reasons, no reason whatsoever. Like I was just gonna, because you had that uh, uh, co-captain douchebag from Horns and Iman calling it Hamatusite, mm. where it's actually called Hamatusite, and I just had that scene playing in my head for the last week. Um, the incidental music for this, uh, the director Peter Moffat really disliked it, um saying that it was replete with turgid chords. Uh, however, Paddy Kingslade, who uh, did the music, actually called Moffat his favourite director to work with. That's a bit <laughs> shit. Oh, I loved working with him. He thinks your work is shocking. I was like, oh, that's, that's <laughs> um, Film Me at Black Park took place on a Heathrow Airport flight path, which is ironic, given that the doctor was trying to get taken to Heathrow, mm-hmm. um, which meant that the noise of the approaching aircraft regularly disrupted the recording. However, they were saved when an air traffic controller strike um, <laughs> <laughs> came into effect, so the disturbances uh, stopped. Um, on the first day of rehearsal, um, this is like again. I love how like the people who curate the TARDIS wiki obviously put in some facts from like the audio commentaries and stuff, and I love it because you get random shit. Um, Peter was late for the first day of rehearsal because the family cat had taken a live mole into his house and he'd had to return it safely to the garden. His all creatures great and small persona (laughs) shining through. (laughs) Very much so. Um, Peter actually named the cereal as a favourite of his. Um, And Matthew Waterhouse recalled how Peter entered the rehearsal room shaking the script with excitement. Um, Which... I love when actors get excited about their stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, on to our cast. So, a fairly small cast that we're going through today. Um, we'll have four characters that we'll talk about in terms of trivia, but then we'll only be really discussing two as proper characters. Mm-hmm. So, as Richard Mace, we have Michael Robbins. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Michael. His non-Who credits include The Avengers, Zed Cars, Taxi, Children of the Damned, On the Buses, the Great Muppet Caper, and he was also in Victor Victoria. I could not, for ages, I was looking at him going, 
I know you from somewhere. I know you from somewhere. He was the manager of Victoria's Hotel. I need to watch that movie again because it's been so long since I've seen it. I can't really remember him. Yeah, he's the manager of the hotel who um, basically offers to waive her rent if she will see. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember that part. Yeah. We have mentioned it before because we have had people in Doctor Who before who were in Victor Victoria. If you haven't watched Victor Victoria, you really should. It's a fantastic film. And it is very, very good. In a whole different light. Um, <laughs> Michael sadly passed away in 1992. The android is portrayed by Peter Van Dissel. Um, Not to be... <laughs> the first time I read his name, I was like, Peter Van Diesel? What? <laughs> no, <laughs> Peter Van Dissel. <laughs> Um, this is only Doctor Who credit. His Don Who credits include Out of the Unknown, Vengeance Cops, The Diamond Mercenaries, and Dog Squad. The Squire is played by John Savadant. Um, only on-screen Doctor Who credit for John, though he did later provide a voice for the Big Finish production audio story Order of the Daleks. His Don Who credits include Coronation Street, for which he's probably most widely known, um, yeah. The Saint, Callan, Blake Seven, Sharp's Regiment, and The Clockwork Orange. I was trying to remember who he was in Sharp's Regiment, and uh, like I know what the actor looks like. I'm remembering Sharp's Regiment, and my brain is not connecting them. Um, yeah, so I may have to take a look. I, at I, that. I, I think he plays the Prince Regent's brother. I think. Yeah, he has a title. I know that much. Yeah. And lastly, as our lead Terraleptal, we have Michael Malia. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Michael. His non-Who credits include EastEnders, Dangerfield, Blake Seven, Inspector Morse, Carnation Street, The Bill, and The Sweeney. And that brings us to the end of trivia. So, thank you for that wonderful trivia. You're welcome. I would be very, yeah, very short for sweet. But I'm actually curious now to see a reproduction of this with Vin Diesel as the android. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing stronger than family. (laughs) I am android. Actually, what I will say is, um, I'll probably get through it in the overall, but the opening sequence to this like I know cold opens aren't really a thing for Doctor Who at the moment but that sequence was a fantastic cold opening I think mm. yeah I love how like even like the daughter had a rifle and was like yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah all hands on deck <laughs> yeah I and mean, there's no there's no um there's no uh hesitancy to hand her a gun they just hand it to her she mm-hmm. takes position and just it. yeah Sharp would be proud <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but onto this show anyway away from Sharp and onto this show so this week we're kind of fairly light in terms of people to discuss we have the Doctor as always we have three companions well four companions technically we have our yeah, usual I would, I would call, consider my yeah. companion yeah, yeah. Uh, we have well like I was thinking like that if um, Todd was one last week then Mace definitely has to be one this mm. week uh, so yeah we have Tegan, Adric, and Nissa back now. And we also have Mace. Uh, no prominent characters, but we do have the villain of the Terraleptal leader. The android, whilst 
actually pretty intimidating and really well used, I think, is just a tool to be used. So there's no character yeah. there really to discuss. Yeah, it, it's not like um, the androids from the Androids of Tara or the robot from Robot or, or the, um, the server androids from, Ro- from, um, from Robots of Death. That's one. Yeah, um, it's, it's not quite. It's not quite the, the same. This is purely just a silent <laughs> functionary yeah. um, mm-hmm. who who does a particular job. Though I will say, I, I I love how I love how they dressed up their android to look like mm. Death. Yep, very smart. He had a mask over his face. <laughs> and I'm like. Okay. <laughs> I like. I kept. I. I kept calling him like kind of Harlequinish looking, but based given the fact that the Terraliptals are kind of fish, maybe the multicolored pattern is meant to rep, is meant to be like fish scales. A rainbow trout. <laughs> yeah, rainbow rainbow trout. I don't know. I I I I said this to Patty at lunch today. Um, I am slightly concerned with this sort of lean into. Harlequin clown esque design this season for reasons that we have mentioned before. I fucking hate clowns, mm. and Harlequins come very, very close in the ick factor of clowns. Yeah, <laughs> um, this one wasn't too bad because he was mostly dressed up as death. But the idea, yeah. the idea of an android playing dress up. A silent servitor android playing dress up and wearing a mask. Can you imagine Data wearing a mask? Yeah. Other than the episode Masks, which was all about Data wearing a mask, but other than that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, back on point. Back on point. Back on point. You did the socials today, my friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you get to go first. So the doctor, the visitation, your thoughts. This is a doctor of two halves, I think. Because for the most part, I enjoy him for the first three and a half episodes. Um, But then in the last half, his second doctor shows hugely, really hugely. Um, So for the good parts, I liked his kind of back and forth with Mace. It felt very like... um, and again, I suppose the connection with Tanzawa and Chiang, it was like Mace was like a hodgepodge of uh, Jago and um, I'm trying to think of another character from a different story, uh, maybe Hal the Archer, like just like a combination of those two type of archetypes. Uh, so I liked their back and forth. I liked some moments the Doctor had with the companions early on throughout, like some nice little story beats. Um, but... It's kind of it takes a really harsh turn, in again that harsh turn into assholeville, when Adric and Nissa arrive in the TARDIS, like he just becomes an absolute prick. It's like oh, it took you long enough, and like, Tegan then saying you know you could at least thank them, and then once they're inside the TARDIS and they're looking for. Uh, Tegan asks, like, oh, they're looking for the anom- like the A signs of the Terraleptals, and he says he found an anomaly. And she was like, oh, what? like, genuinely curious. It's like, why weren't you looking for that in the first place? 
And I just like that kind of sarcastic way he answers her, which is like, well, I didn't know that's what I was looking for type shit. And then even once they get out, it's all just so condescending because you know they they oh they, there's the cart outside the bakery and it was like oh, i wonder where they are like oh one would think that they're inside the bakery seeing so the cart is here and it's like what happened to you like why are you like there's no there's literally no catalyst for this at all mm. that i can see in the preceding three and a half three and a half yeah episodes for him to just have this light switch moment. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm a condescending cold-hearted prick now. The only thing I can think of is that um, the Tyrolephalos wanted to use the TARDIS and mm-hmm. then Adrican Nyssa pilot the TARDIS without him. And this idea of I don't like people touching my things is the only thing I can think of. But like, Do you know, like even, he had to be saved by them piloting his ship. You know? Yeah, but like, even then, it's like weird because, like, where's there's that moment where like they're trying to phase in and they can't, and like you know, Mace's like, "What's that?" and he goes, "Oh, uh, help with any with any luck." And it's like he seems like eager for it to arrive, and then it's just, yeah, like as I said, light switch, and he's just like looking down his nose at them the whole time I'm like no man like this is there's no need to be such a, a, like a, a, a douchebag about it and that like I would say that outside of the relationship that he has with Mace throughout this story there's nothing brand spanking new about the doctor mm. in the story and this kind of really like overshines on it, I think this kind of cast like a dark shadow over like the rest of Peter's performance in this story. I think. Yeah, I would agree. Like my first thought when I was putting down my thoughts on this was that like he's just an asshole to his companions, and like actually from the beginning he's a bit of an asshole, um, particularly mm. to Adric and Tegan, and yeah. I kind of get the sense that the only one of them he actually likes is Nissa. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even though, like, I mean, he he wasn't like, oh my god, you created the Sonic thing and you did the thing. Like, he wasn't super proud of her, but like, he did at least acknowledge that she was able to build this thing by herself and do whatever. Um, though, in fairness, I think of the three of them, this is my favorite as well. Um, he gets along fine with Mace, but I I wouldn't put it with the likes of um. Uh, why am I so bad with names? Pyramids of Mars. Oh, Lawrence. Yeah, like I wouldn't put it quite at the level of Lawrence. Mm. I wouldn't even put it on the same level as Todd last week. Um, like he got along fine with him, but like there was no mm. connection. I didn't really get any banter, you know, that we often get with the story based companion. Um, and to be honest, I just don't get what. Peter's excitement was for this story because there isn't really a lot for the Doctor to chew on and you know there was one callback um, or one thing that I thought would have been a lovely callback um, that they didn't do which is that he's in handcuffs and he can't fucking get out of them I'm like what? (laughs) 
was just like, you know, A, I'm pretty sure the doctor has mentioned Houdini at one point. Mm-hmm. So he should know how to get out of handcuffs. But also, like, the fact that, like, Mace had to be the one to pick the lock. I'm like, you travelled with Joe, whose whole thing was picking locks and whatever. Like, there was a lovely opportunity for a call back to Joe and be like, oh, well, I once had a friend on Earth who taught me a little bit about picking locks or something. No, there's no mention. And I found it really weird in a story that had scenes where they had to get out of handcuffs and pick locks. I'm like, Joe would have had this done in like two seconds. She was like, mm. amazing. Um, but yeah, I agree with you though that like the assholery goes up to 90 as soon as Nissa and Adric land the TARDIS proper. Um, and I, 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 I agree with you. I don't get why. I think his whole thing from there on out is just him being an asshole to like I said, he has that one moment where he at least acknowledges the fact that Nissa got the thing to work. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of it, he's just asshole. I'm like, okay. And also, remind me, like, I know like the premise that the writer was going for was in relation to the rats disappearing um, from London after the Great Fire of London. And like, I don't like rats. I fucking hate rats. Um, our friend Vicky once, like, pet sat her friend's rats and didn't tell me and I sat on a couch and something ran past my leg <laughs> because she had let them out of the cage I fucking hate anything like that I fucking hate however I find it interesting that the doctor with absolutely zero concern whatsoever is like oh wait chuck these like baskets of rats into the fire like <laughs> I had to. I was like, "Is that is that actually what they're doing?" No. Like, what? No, they were throwing in the vials that for that for the uninjected rats. Okay, because I because I literally had in my head because I read the bit of trivia and then I watched. Yep. Okay. Full disclosure, I fell asleep during the story last night. I didn't get to watch the last episode, so I had to watch it a while ago. And I'd already read the trivia note by that point. But so when I watched it again, I was like, is he chucking things or rats into a fire? <laughs> With zero cancellation whatsoever. Because <laughs> I connected those two trivia points. So I'm glad you explained because yeah, my brain no. was just like, I mean, there's being an asshole to your friends and then there's just being an asshole to nature. <laughs> 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 Why? Um... I will say one thing, like, you know, because I kind of feel like I've ragged on him a lot um, in this story, and justifiably so. Um, Mm -hmm. There were, there was actually two nice things with the same theme on both that he did, which is like, in terms of the Terleptons, like, he, he wasn't initially judgmental. He was like, yeah, you know, I know how how you got these scars. Um, I don't judge you for it. Do you know? Um, I can help you find. And he's constantly like, I can help you find anywhere in the universe you want to go. I'll find somewhere for you. And like, it's very much um, trying to help, mm. um, as opposed to becoming. You know that rightful indignation comes later when his help keeps being um, turned down, um, yeah. and then he's getting more and more like 
you'll like and like, he, again he tries to present it in a nice way he's like you can't possibly defeat them all do you know mm-hmm. like come on like let me take you somewhere else and i think the way he handled that i think was actually quite well and it sort of it escalated naturally mm-hmm. as opposed to just like indignant outrage just yeah off the bat. um and then also like his his interactions with mace are fine i think for the most part but i do like how at the end he was like i can drop you anywhere you want mm-hmm. um you know where you know you don't have to stay in london while it's burning um <laughs> you know i can take you anywhere you want which i, I just thought was a nice little thing to do mm-hmm. again not something he had to do not something he would usually do no but nice of him to offer um so yeah he had two he had two nice moments in a in a story where he's a bit of an asshole for the most part yeah so now we have the companions and i think i want to do it i i do mace last because you know he's story based companion when you are yeah. regulars and i think i want to do it adric Nissa and Tegan this week. Okay, and it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like his options are Ant, Tan, yeah. Nat. <laughs> yeah. Or. Tana, Unta. Or Atten. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. Adric. What? Yeah, Adric, yes. Come on, talk about Adric. Uh, okay, so th- no, this is the thing where it's like there is still shades of the petulant Adric and the asshole Adric that we have seen previously. Hmm. But there was something else that kind of shone true at parts here. And I don't know whether it was just me picking it, like looking too far into things or not. But it's he plays it as almost like at times, and it's in his scenes with Nissa, where it, com- it comes across like he's the kid brother that is legitimately trying to help, but ends up being more of a hindrance than a help. And like it's, and it's not the whole thing of like, you know, well, I know better, like we got last week, you know, with the whole, well, I would have figured it out, but it's like, it's almost like you know like i can't do anything you're just keep putting me in the corner type shit because like he was saying like i can't help you with this i couldn't get tegan out of the thing you know i couldn't help her with with that when she was trying and i can't help the doctor with this that and the other and he was just kind of and like it's i won't say it's a redeeming quality like like a redeeming kind of factor to his previous behavior but it did add another element to the fact that he is still a 15-year-old boy. Yeah, I I took it up differently. Um, okay, okay. I, I, I get what you mean. My read on it was a bit different, and I'll get to it in more detail when I get to my part. But um, mm-hmm. I get what you mean, though. Um, but my read on that was quite different from yours. Mm. Okay, okay, cool. Um, um, but... I I think with just with that aspect of it, it kind of changed it up a small bit. That he was, it changed it up that he wasn't always a petulant little shit in the story. Like mm. there was this element of like I legitimately do want to help, mm. 
just for like I not because I know better or I'm smarter than everyone else or you know I'm a I'm a guy and you're a girl type thing but it was just like I legitimately want to be able to help here and like I mm. kind of gleaned at that from aspects of the story um but and also to be fair to him like you know he did tackle an and that android to in order to buy Nissa some time I'll give I'll give I'll give him that um but yeah like he doesn't have a whole lot bar the I suppose the introspective moments because he's a prisoner for the majority of this. Also, he does need to learn to shut the fuck up when a villain asks him anything. He really oh, does need to. Yeah. <laughs> Over to you and for your different read on things. So I mentioned it a bit last week. Um, I'm kind of disappointed because Adric really has firmly entrenched himself in the annoying category for me, which I really hoped he wouldn't. Like when we first started discussing him, I was like, oh, I don't get why people don't like Adric. Like he seemed really interesting at the start and so on. He is firmly entrenching himself into the annoying category because his skills seem to have devolved into one, giving away vital information to the enemy. <laughs> Often apropos of fuck all. Right. Um, two, Piloting the TARDIS. Well done, Adric. There's a skill you have mastered. Good boy. Mm-hmm. And three, and this is where you and I differ in terms of his introspective moment, essentially complaining that he isn't the hero of the story. Okay. So we had it a bit last week where Nissa understood everything. Mm-hmm. Or was it the week before? Where Nissa understood everything, understood all we, the technology. We, that was the week before, that was forward to Doomsday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Adric didn't, right? And we have it here as well, where um, the doctor's berating him for what happened last week, and he's like, "Oh, but I would have been fine. Like, no one was actually hurt." Whereas, actually, we know from last week, the kid was out of his mind, um, <laughs> like nearly wet as a float. Um, you know, the doctor and Nessa go off and do one thing. Is it? He does try to be brave you know he tries to like when um tegan gets shot he tries to to um intercede and he attacks the android later but like what you see as his moment of introspective i sort of see as him being like not so much i want to help you know and i can't and that makes me sad because i want to help my friends but more so i want to help because by helping i am the leader of the story it's like it's weird because like, he used to be the doctor's protege. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Like he was his ward in that sense. Um, and so they had a really strong connection. And now with more people in the TARDIS, his function of being good at maths, well, Nissa is just as good as he is, if not better. Um, you know, being brave, Tegan is fairly brave in her own right, you know, willing to jump in, you know, get her hands dirty or whatever. Like the only thing he can do that the other two can't is pilot the TARDIS. <laughs> like that's literally it. Um, so I sort of took a lot of like even just the way he was like, um, you know, I'm stronger than you. I can pull the things down. Um, you know, he climbed through the the thing as opposed to waiting for Tegan to open the door. Um, because like oh, yeah. I sort of took it as him being like, well, I can 
do this too. Do you like as an I should have been the one to pull the things off and free her. I'm not gonna let her free me because I'm a man and I don't need no woman to free me from a door or whatever. Um, I actually forgot about that part, I'll be honest. That that yes. person over my mind. So I think with all of those bits together, I saw that as him just complaining that he doesn't get to be the hero of the story. That everything he tries to do he fucks up. Meaning that like there's no credit to go to him, there's no like, oh Adric, you did amazing or whatever. Um and that was the way I picked up on it. So I didn't see it as this like fifteen year old being introspective. I saw it as this pain in the ass giving out that like he can't he can't get glory is the way I maybe I'm being a bit mean to him, but like that's just the way I picked up on it. No, like no I honestly I honestly forgot about the um... The stuff with Tegan in the jail cell, and like the way you're the way you're saying it, and it does kind of, it does kind of fit a bit. Is almost like main character syndrome in like yeah. role play. Um, I don't know. Like I think like maybe in a case it's like maybe it's Matthew's bad acting again or something because those introspective moments. I did act like the way that he read it. I was like, okay, you you actually you're coming across as sincere in your desire just to be functional Mm. but I think there's more to his desire to be functional than just helping his friends oh no I think in general yes this story I I didn't didn't see it as I think the desire to to help felt more legit like felt more team based in this story than it had in the previous story where it was like well I'm the hero um, also, Adric, maybe if you stop being an asshole, Tegan would like you more. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because you don't, you don't treat her very well. Now, in fairness, he did. Um, when they were trapped together, he was quite protective of her. I don't mm-hmm. know if he heard the doctor's directive for him to take care of her, but clearly he tried to play that part. Um, but other than that, um, he continues for reasons beyond my knowledge. To treat her like shit. No wonder she doesn't like you, dude. <laughs> yeah. You're not a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's that stupid schoolyard thing, you know, he pulls her hair, you know, she might go out with him. <laughs> yeah, but he sees her as, like, a woman. Mm. And old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe not. Although, then again. You're, pa- you're past your prime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then we have Nissa. So, what were your thoughts on Nissa? Um, So, Nissa is, I would say, for about half the story, she is relegated to the TARDIS. But for the parts that she is there, it's great because she is kind of picking up where she left off from uh, Fort Doomsday in the sense of she is the Doctor's protege. And, like, we talked about how. Adric's whole thing was like Adric was great at maths, so you know he kind of fit that role. But Nissa does seem to be a bit of an all rounder because she grasps the mathematic principles. She also has the technical capabilities to do all the um ad hoc equipment building, but also she seems to understand more scientific principles than Adric does. Yeah, Nissa is a scientist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. Adric is a schoolchild. Yeah, 
And plus, like, again, because she was exposed to the wider world, like, because the people of Tracken knew that they were, in, like, inter, part of an intergalactic species, whereas Adric on in E-Space and Alzarius, it's insular. They still think they're trapped on that planet. So, like, while, yeah, they know what's out there because of their insular up, uh, upbringing, he doesn't really know a whole lot. Whereas, like, T- Nissa is just that much more well-rounded, more experienced person there for the group. Um, I like, I love when, like, the doctor leaves her, uh, kind of, okay, you search down here because you know what we're looking for. I'll go search up there with Adric. And he has to explain it to Adric. He doesn't have to explain it to anyone else. Uh, because again, that's Nissa knows what to look for. Nissa knows what's going on. Um, I liked the um, the sequence where she didn't want to leave the cellar when the android attacked. Mm. Like she, like she wanted to stay for the, for the doctor. Uh, and even then, like when like she's the voice of reason throughout this whole thing. Like she was like, look trying to build an improvised sonic weapon against an actual death machine. Like, it's it's too risky. And you could say it's playing it safe, but at the same time, it's like, this thing could backfire horribly. We're looking for something that's strong enough to shatter this thing. Um, and that's where she gets relegated to, I think, like, what about maybe Bones of Two episodes? Where she's just in the TARDIS, putting together this yeah. earth shaker. And it it's great, you know, like she does it. She, and I do really enjoy the part where she mourns the loss of the android, because it was like, while yeah, I think she, it, it's essentially a machine. I almost get the sense like that she viewed it as an entity, not as in like this disposable piece of equipment. I think, because I had some thoughts on that as well. But I think she saw it as a machine. But it's a technological marvel, mm. do you know? Um, yeah. It could have been used for good. It didn't have to be used for evil. I don't think she mm-hmm. necessarily saw it as, like... I don't think she had the same connection that, say, like, Sarah had in Robot. Yeah. You know, where she saw it as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, But she definitely saw it as more than what it was presented as. Or even um, Leela with the D-class servitors yeah. in... Um. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, I think like Nitness did a really good job in this story for the, and like I think the writers are finding it hard to balance the three companion Tardis. But what we got here with Nissa, like I'm glad that it was all positive. Mm. I would agree. I like, I agree with your assessment. I think the writers are struggling to balance the Tardis because you have like. Three companions is a lot. We have seen it before, though. Mm-hmm. But we have three young companions and a young doctor, and we have not had that before. No. Um, And we don't really get it again. Well, I suppose one or two episodes in the revival era, but um, like if you compare this to um, the first doctor, Ian and Barbara and Susan, mm-hmm. You know, the first Doctor was old. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an age difference um, between, like a generational age difference between Ian and Barbara and Susan, and between Ian and Barbara and Vicky. And so, 
breaking them up into groups of two. You had one older with one younger. Either that was the doctor with Barbara and Ian with Susan, but there was still like an older, younger thing. Mm-hmm. There was a much more mixed level of experiences there and what have you. If we jump ahead to the most recent doctor, so Jodie Whittaker's doctor, we had the doctor, Yaz, Ryan, and um, Graham. Graham. Where again, Graham is a generational age difference from the other two. Do you like? There's different ways to break them up where you can tie into the generational age differences. Here, even though. Adric is younger, I wouldn't call it a generational difference. Do you know, like, Ian and Barbara are kind of presented as Susan's parental figures. You wouldn't mm-hmm. say that Tegan was, like, Adric's parental figure. That that doesn't really jive. Um, and I think that's part of the problem, is that you've got a cast of four young people. How, how do you mix them up in a way mm-hmm. that works in a story? And allows each of them to have a weakness that someone else's strength overcomes do you know um i think that's the problem that they're having with this with this current grouping um in terms of nissa though i agree with you on pretty much everything you said i think nissa just spends the story doing her own thing like Mm -hmm. nissa is now firmly entrenched in my brain as the hermione granger of the tardis right (laughs) in the sense that She's functionally smarter than her friends, mm-hmm. her trio of friends. She's functionally smarter. She's the one who works out everything. She's the one who's left alone to build everything. She doesn't really get the credit that she's due. And she kind of just has her own story within the story, as in, like, you sort of imagine it's like, you know, Nissa and the, like, Nissa and the android is its own story of Nissa being forced to build a machine to destroy this android. And even you could tell as she's building it, she doesn't particularly want to. Do you know? She knows how to do it. Mm. But she's clearly not happy that she's building it. Do you know? A, she thinks it's not going to fucking work anyway. At least in the way the doctor wants it to. She doesn't anticipate that the thing is going to come right into the into her fucking bedroom. Um, but also like, the fact that she's like, I'm just going to work in my room. I'm just going to work in my room. Fuck it. I'm going to move the furniture and work in my room. I'm like, Nissa, I love you. You're great. Um, and like I said, she just gets to work and build it. I said, clearly, she is the one the Doctor trusts more so than anything else. Even though she's younger than Tegan, mm-hmm. she hasn't travelled with him as long as Adric. She is the most level-headed. Like you said, she's kind of like the voice of reason um, on the crew. She doesn't get as emotional as the other two do, and she doesn't challenge him as much. She challenges him when she needs to, but it's never a screaming match in his face like you get with Tegan. It's just no. think about what you're saying, <laughs> how close, like what we're trying to do. Like, I get what you're trying to do with the sonic device, but like think about it before you commit to it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think ultimately she is. To me, she's my favourite of the three. I mentioned that earlier. But her being so good, she suffers from Liz Shaw syndrome. Because she's so good, she almost doesn't fit. If Mm. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, She's so good, there's no need for the other two to exist. 
but the other two having considerably more flaws than she does makes them more interesting to watch. So Nyssa becomes sending her off into a corner on her own to build something. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. Um, like I said, I totally agree with you. I love um, how Sasha was at having to destroy the android. Um, like I said, I don't think it was a sense of her um, anthropomorphizing it. In the same way Sarah Jane did. But I think, you know, and I think this goes back to her training as a child. So she's a scientist, but also she was trained to take over in that garden where evil things come and they and they become good Mm. she knows that evil can be a transient thing that over time can go away she knows that from a sort of a almost spiritual aspect but she also knows that from scientific aspect you could just reprogram the android and it could like go around making candy floss and give it out for free like yeah, you can program it to do anything. Um, so yeah, I I did like her in this. I don't think we got enough of her in it, but like, like no. everything about her in the story is like, yep, yeah, very good, very good, very good. Um, and I love how she doesn't rise to like Adric's base and stuff like that either. Do you know what I mean? No. She's just like, yeah, whatever. Um, and clearly, like she feels like I think she'll really miss Tegan. Yeah. Do you know? She I do would. like their connection. Yeah, I like it is one of those things of where if you actually think about it, it's this is the doctor's traveling circus of orphans because like, well, I don't know about Tegan's parents, but we know that her aunt is dead. All of Nissa's people are gone and Adric is away from his own people. But like Nissa seems to be this thing of where she has adopted the older sister role even though, like, she's not the oldest person there, you know. So I think, like, she's just this, she is this voice of maturity, especially, as you pointed out, with such a young doctor as well, like that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So now on to Tegan. Yep. Um, so, look, I'll get the negative out of the way, first of all, right? Tegan, it's a fucking time machine. It will get you back to there. Stop complaining about you're going to be late. Stop. Again, like you've seen the the wonders of the galaxy. Like for on, I'll go say three occasions now. Yeah, or three or four occasions. It's a time machine. It's a goddamn time machine. That aside, though, I actually really like Tegan a lot in this story. Um, I think Janet does a good job here. I felt I would have liked to have seen the bit where she's contemplating about the Mara. That felt a small bit tacked on, I think. Yeah. It, 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 it didn't go in in depth as I would have liked it to have gone. Um, But for the rest of the story, I think Tegan is really, really good. Like her blow up at the doctor over the fact that, you know, Okay, it's not okay. Before we landed in the wrong place. Now we've landed in the right place, but we're 300 years early. So she kind of fucking exasperated and she snaps and, you know, it's like, okay, look, I can't blame her. I can't blame her for being this fucking upset. 
Um, so then there's the, the whole aspect of where like she, I think more so Nissa than all of them. But like, you know, she says that she will miss Nissa, and it's that that's a great thing as well. Like because you know you have these adventures with these people, you kind of grow a bond, and sometimes it's a kind of a shared trauma type thing, or sometimes it's actually just good camaraderie. And I think you have a mix of both here, but I think when it comes to this, it's the good camaraderie side of things. Um, outside of that, though, I think she's very resourceful in this story. Like she's she's the one that breaks herself and Adric out of the the prison cell. Um, she is also the one where like kind of convinces the doctor that look, you know, he's not going to be able to pick that lock. You're going to have to take the risk and you're going to have to blow the lock, which is kind of cool. I liked, uh, also she's not afraid to risk her life. She's not afraid to get stuck in. Like she risks her, she puts herself up as a target to lure the miller out of the place uh, she has no problem fighting off those poachers. She has no problem rushing in to help the doctor fight off the Tarleptal. Um So that was like that was enjoyable to watch. I really did. Also, I do kind of relate to her a small bit in this, based on some of the uh, characters characteristics of characters I play when we do role play. Like you know, where it's like the smart ass comment. I'm usually the one that gives that smart ass comment. This is smart ass comments here. I was like, oh, yes, very well done, very well put. Um, so yeah, I think this was a good story for Tegan. Yeah, I think for me, I think this story was grand for Tegan. I think we get a lot from her that we've seen already, which is probably why I would put it in the grand category. Mm. Um, grand isn't bad. Grand is grand. No, no, it's not. Um, yeah. I do think having her with two mind control episodes or mind control stories back to back is a bit much. Like she's trying to steal Sarah Jane's record of being the most mind controlled <laughs> person ever. Um, but no, I agree everything with you said. I think, you know, she is very brave throughout all of this. And again, that goes back to the way she was in Castrovalva. It goes back to like some of the other times that we've seen her where she's she's really brave and willing to get stuck in. Um, I agree with you in the sense that she's justified in, well, actually I disagree with you. I think she's fully justified in her, um, in her fury with the doctor over what's happening. Mm. And I also think she's justified in her complaints of, I don't want to be late. I don't want to miss what I'm meant to be doing, blah, blah, blah. Because, it's almost like the TARDIS is out to get her. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the TARDIS can go everywhere else fucking pin perfect. Right? Mm. It can go from the woods into the room in the house exactly at the moment as needed. And then it can go to London. And then it's like pin perfect. But it can't get to fucking Heathrow Airport on this day at this time. So you say it's a time machine. It can get you there whenever. It's a time machine. They claim it can fucking get her there whenever. Clearly it fucking can't or it would have. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I understand that like everyone's like, oh, it's a time. Like if people keep telling you like, you know, I try to think of like a real world example. Well, um, uh, I, I, I didn't say it was. Telling you, 
Go on. I didn't say it was a very good time machine. I just said it was a time machine. Well, well, no, because the whole point of your argument is it's a time machine, so there's no yeah, reason yeah. to worry about being late. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, no, like, I... that's like people, that'd be like me telling you, like, oh, um, it takes half an hour to get to Rathmore. Now, every time you fucking tried to go there, it's taken you 40 minutes to an mm. hour. But you can get there in half an hour. What I'm not yeah. telling you is that you can get there in half an hour if you have a super-powered car, you don't obey the speed limit, or maybe you have a helicopter. Like, <laughs> simply telling her repeatedly, it's a time machine. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> it's not doing its fucking job. Um, but I do have, like... With all that, like I think she's justified in her anger and her indignation. All the woman wants to fucking do is go home. Some people don't want to see the wonders of the universe. Mm -hmm. They just want to go home. Like mm -hmm. She has a life she's excited about and she wants to get back to. Um, however, annoying Tegan is annoying. Yeah. When she complains, the way she complains is fucking irritating. <laughs> She's justified, but it's irritating as hell. Um, I said, other than that, I think for the rest of the story, she does fine. Um, I said, I like that her that you know, she's the one who figures out how they can escape. That's good. Um, I like the fact that she's willing to get involved and she's willing to put herself forward. I think that's all great. I just don't think any of that was really given time to breathe. So it could be sort of celebrated. I think a lot of it comes from the doctor doesn't acknowledge any of that contribution. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, like, it, in some ways, this is the episode where she complained about not being able to return to Heathrow. She got shot, got captured, was mind-controlled, and eventually freed herself from, from mind-control. Actually, she didn't even free herself from mind-controlled. He attacked her and pulled the little controlly thing off. Mm-hmm. Because no one else acknowledges her contributions. Do you know what I mean? At least with Nyssa, we see Adric being like, wow, you did it. And the doctor's like, wow, you did it. At least people acknowledge her fucking contribution. No one seems to acknowledge Tegan's contribution. Um, which means that sometimes when you're watching it, like when I first watched it, I was like, oh yeah, Tegan, she's grand. Like, I didn't get the same buzz about her that you did, I don't think. Hmm. But I think that's because nobody else did either. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's all, it's kind of an interesting thing there you bring up. It's like, sorry, that the, and like, w do you think your opinion of that would have changed if she had received the recognition in story, if someone had said something to her? I think so, because I think every good thing she does, something else happens to sort of counter it. Like she freed them from the the jail cell thing, whatever. But my memory of that is just Adric being a little dick about it. Do you know? Mm. Or um you know, she was rightfully indignant and she called the doctor on his bullshit in regards to his fucking time machine. But the way she did it is just fucking irritating. Do you know? Um mm. You know, she, uh, you know, diving in to help um, with the with the pterodactyls at the end. She grabbed a gun and hit them with it. 
Okay. Interesting choice. Again, I wanted to go to the confined space, but like uh, <laughs> all, all, she hit but him I, with the with the with the small end and not with yeah, the no, heavy end. Yeah. No. To be fair, that's a that's a fucking flintlock rifle. It can only fire one bullet, so she doesn't know how to reload it. So she would have to use it as a club. I will criticize her, yes, for using the actual barrel to beat the guy as opposed to the yeah. stock. But um, <laughs> but also that's sort of outdone by the fucking explosion. Yeah. Um, so like I said, everything that she does that's good is kind of in and this might just be me, right? But in my memory, it's sort of overwritten by someone else doing something straight away. And the moment not being given room to breathe. Is it easier for the other companions to be like, you know, hey, well done on getting out of the room or for it just to have room to breathe for me to be like, Oh, that was fucking good scene do you know mm. well like I said like Nissa blows up the android and it's given room to breathe because we see her looking at it and considering it and then Adra comes in and they have that moment of Nissa sort of um, grieving the loss of it and so the moment is given time to breathe so I get time to okay embrace it if that makes sense you know it does. I mean, it's an interesting way of looking at things. As well. It's because I've never factored in. Because usually for me, my I suppose like enjoyment of the character is if they're actually contributing. That they, that they're not just waiting around and sitting on their hands until mm. they get rescued. That they are trying to do something, or they don't wait to see. They don't wait for like the doctor to get clubbed to the ground or the doctor to get the upper mm-hmm. hand on someone, they rush in to help, you know, like that. So like, that's where I kind of get my, Oh yeah, cool. I like that. I like that side of things. Yeah. I, I do wonder if as well, because you type it up, you maybe watch the episode slower than I do. Because I watch it in usually in one go from beginning to end. Oh, I, I basically, the way that I have to do it is, uh, if there's no dialogue, it's grand because I can just do a, like a kind of a narration. Like, you, this is what they're doing. But when there's dialogue, you know, I do. It takes me about an hour to watch an episode because I have yeah, to I stop. I have to type. I might have to go back to uh, really grasp what they're trying to get across. So, yeah. Yes, I do wonder if you have time to pause. Yeah. You know? mm. um, but like I said, she's grand. And grand isn't bad. Grand isn't bad, grand and grand is, grand. is better. Grand is better than fine. It is. Bit of an Irish logic, word logic there for you, everyone. If someone says they're fine, they're really, really not. They're yeah. like, Plus, they're like bordering on like chronically depressed. If someone says yeah. they're grand, eh. Yeah. Plus, like I, I know the way that you like. I know the way you say things in the context you say it. Where it's like you know, if something's fine, you just go, "It's fine," and then you know, when something's grand, you're like, "It's grand." There's a bit more of a, an uptilt to it. So I'm like, "Oh yeah." So like, if she's saying it's fine, it's like, "Yeah, she's not really overly impressed with it." <laughs> well, the, the reason why I'm clarifying it is because I said to someone on a business call the other day, and I was like, "Oh, how is so and so?" I was like, "Oh, they're grand," and. To an American, to say that something is grand means like oh, audacious and yeah. da 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 da. 
when we say something's grand, we mean it's good, like. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> or like I'm I'm every time I meet a new person at work because I'm now exposed to a much more diverse cultural uh work environment. Uh you know, people say, How are you doing? Like, my automatic response is to type out, ah, not too bad now. And they just focus on the now. There's a what happened when you're not feeling well earlier? Is everything okay? So it's, no, it's just an expression. And sometimes my boss actually sometimes my boss forgets it and I have to re explain it to her. Actually, I did have the funniest moment the other week. Um, complete tangent, which is because we're talking about like Irishisms and stuff. Um, I was having a meeting, and it was me, my boss, who's also Irish, and this woman on our team who's from Argentina originally, but she's lived in Dublin for like twenty years at this point. She has her Irish citizenship, right? We joke she's more Irish than Irish. And our building in this is being upgraded at the moment in work. And so one of the guys came in, and you're going to know exactly what I mean. When the guy comes in, because uh, he has to just adjust something uh, with the power sockets, he's who's open source goes, "How's she cutting?" <laughs> she just goes, <laughs> I'm like, "You've said it to me on occasion, but more so as a joke." He's the only person I know who has used that phrase repeatedly <laughs> because he said it several times, purely like. As natural conversation flow, yeah, <laughs> and not as a as an indication of what it means to be culty, which is what you yeah. often use it as. Absolutely, um, but that's literally how he says hello. That's just how he says hello. It's fucking brilliant. Uh, or there's nothing nothing better than being in a room that's like or in a in an environment that's half filled with Cork people and half filled with people that are from outside of Ireland. Because if someone s- suggests doing something that's like not a good idea or ridiculous and you gotta go, yeah, we will, yeah. It's like you know, all the court people know that you're being sarcastic and you be like, no, not really. Whereas everyone else is like, like, oh cool. They're very happy with this. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Over here the anyway. double positive means no. Alright, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, let's get back to um the story. So we do have one final companion to discuss, which is our story based companion of Richard mm-hmm. Mace. Yes. Uh I really liked Mace. I did I think he is like the complete gentleman rogue. Um and I like that it isn't a f- it isn't all a facade. Um like he is legitimately an like an actor who has taken to the life of a highwayman because he needs to be able to feed himself. And when I say it's not the facade and this, because like, you know, it's like, they're not prop pistols. No, no, no. Like the, the fucker can and will shoot if needs be. Um, I don't know what it is. It's just like, in those type of characters, like, you know, they usually can't walk the walk, but Mace can. And like, my mind kind of goes back to Jago, you know, Jago, very verbose and very, you know, I did. It was like the, in the final fight, he just ends up and kind of goes, ooh, I'm over here, and then ducks really quickly so he doesn't get shot. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, it's... I liked his interactions with everyone. Like, he had a really good dynamic with, I think, everyone. Like, with Adric, it was like a weird uncle, or a weird, like, your great uncle. Because, like, you know, when he finds the cask of uh, wine, he's just like, Adric is like, what's it like? And you're like, going, you uncultured swine, almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Nissa and Nissa and the Doctor, it was him trying to 
rationalized everything that was going on with his understanding of how his world works. And I thought that made for some very interesting dialogue moments. And with Tegan, it was, they are very combative, but then when they realize that the doctor is being very obtuse, they're like, Oh no, we're actually kind of on the same page here. This guy is, he's being a bit of a, like the whole, uh, when they go into the base and they find the documents and everything is in terror reptilian and they can't read it. Despite the fact that, you know, it is, has been established that the TARDIS's translation circus should allow them to read it. Well, definitely Tegan or definitely the doctor. Uh, but that's besides the point. We'll leave that alone. But they're like, we can't make any heads or tails of it. It's complete gobbledygook. And it's like, oh, we'll find them in London. How do you propose to find them in London? You're full of shit, aren't you? <laughs> that side of things. Um, but what I did like about Mace was at the very end, when they go into the bakery, he is all business. He is all, they have to be stopped. Like, he has no qualms about facing... Like, after like his first encounter with them, where like it just completely knocked him to the side, he has no qualms about getting up, dusting himself off, and going to fight it, um, going to fight the good fight. And even at the end, like, he knows the damage that a fire can do, like, if unchecked. So he calls for, like, the fire brigade. And then he offers... Then he decides to stay behind to fight the fire, which is great. Like, and, like, he... At one point, I actually thought he died because he has to duck from like the debris that falls on mm. top of him. I'm like, no, that sucks. But no, he's just stepping out of the way. Um, so, like, he's actually one of the most entertaining characters, like side characters or side companions we've had in a while, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed him. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I'm like, here is another story-based companion that is treated as more of a companion than our companions are hmm. um, in many ways. Um, I do like his interactions with everyone. Like you said, he has a different way of interacting with everyone. I do find his, his, his comments with Adric to be hilariously funny because like, it's also like Adric is 15. Like, <laughs> 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 it's a different time, different time. Yeah. Um, I love that he, he takes everything in his stride. Do you know? He, calls things bullshit when he feels they are bullshit, but then when it's proven to him that's not bullshit, he's kind of like, okay. Right. Readjusting my worldview. Readjusting my worldview. Mm-hmm. Readjusting my worldview. But also, he knows his time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that he leaves the the manor house or, or whatever... Um, armed to the teeth. Yeah, he's like, "You'll be fucking grateful of it later." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, which is good. Um, I will say though, I didn't. I don't think I enjoyed him as much as you did because, and his, I loved this actor in Victor Victoria. I don't like the decision he made in this story with how he carried the character i guess he's meant to be an actor um Mm -hmm. but it feels like even though he like you said he followed through on everything he was saying like he wasn't like just talking the talk or whatever but he was talking 
like an actor the Ooh. whole time. And I'm like, fuck me, just talk like a normal person. Um, it, I don't know why it just got so annoying that like this very verbose way he had of of speaking, um, it never breaks once. And I'm like, okay, no, he's just like this. This wasn't like something he was putting out. This is just the way he is. Okay, this is going to irritate the shit out of me. And it, it's just personal preference. It's just personal. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just personal preference. But it fucking irritated my nut. Because yeah. like, in a way, like, in a way he, as I said, he reminds you a small bit of Jago. Because mm. you know, the, the almost pomposity. But he also reminded me a small bit of Vizzini from Princess Bride. You know, the the inconceivable guy who keeps like talking these grand things and it's like okay that is just you choosing to fucking speak like this whereas here it's i don't know what it was i just got a kick out of it i really did like you know even when he's explaining about how he was able to pick the locks or again when he's with the wine he's like you know what does that taste like ah nectar There, there was just something but like it it's hammy it really is but I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that's his personal preference, though. Because it, yeah, it, yeah. it, it wasn't even to do with the lines. Yeah. It was just his delivery throughout. Just fucking wrecked my head. Yeah. <laughs> I, liked, I liked this guy in Victor Victoria. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I was just like, I could not. Which actually, it got quite like... It got quite irritating because I wanted to pay attention to him and I wanted to focus on him, but like... I, it's like, you know, when you have someone, I don't know if you have this, um, I have this with um, podcasts in particular, and people may have this with us, hmm. um, podcasts that have very, or like speakers on podcasts or on audiobooks, it's the same, same concept, um, that have sharp S's, and when I say hmm. sharp, I mean the ones that sort of like pierce into your ear, <laughs> I can't listen to it, but that's that that's the way it's going to be <laughs> and that was kind of the feeling I had with this I was like okay just just, just break and talk like a normal person please <laughs> like have have a like have a release like when he was yeah. released from the mind control I'm like okay okay have him revert to his normal oh, this is fucking is his normal self he is an actor he's an actor it's all, it's on like, the stage <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but actually there's one point I love there which was like when the poachers first approached him and he's like don't worry I'll scare him off with these and the doctor goes that won't work they don't feel free he goes oh good because they're not loaded anyway <laughs> uh, um, yeah oh dear. Hmm. shall we go on to our villain yeah the the pteroleptal the, the territorial reptile uh, the terrible, the terrible Eptil. <laughs> I'm actually amazed how well we were able to both say it because I was like, I gotta fuck this up. I'm gonna call him a Terraloptil, a Pterodactyl, <laughs> whatever. Um, I liked him. I thought he was interesting because he makes no bones about how evil his intentions are, and he doesn't shy away from his criminal past. Like he doesn't try to convince us, the audience or the doctor that they're misunderstood in some way. And I'm like, do you know what? As a villain, that honesty is refreshing. It's great just for like, 
to kind of say, I am an absolute up and up fucking bad guy. And yes, he even kind of points out that the, um, like how humanity is just like, you know, oh, they're primitives, they're savages, they fight amongst each other, they're violent, they're this, that, and the other. And then he's like, oh, my plan is to eradicate them with this horrible fucking plague. And that was like going, oh, but I thought you said that they're savages. Hey, I didn't say I wasn't. I'm just saying that they're, that they've got to go so I can have this planet. Mm. I'm like, oh, that, that honestly is just so brutally refreshing. Um, and I think it's, Because, like, the last couple of stories we've had now is, like, the Mara, which we said was really intriguing, but was just a bit underdeveloped for my taste. Then we had the Monarch and the Arbanca, and they were like, uh, they kind of fizzled out too quickly. Then we had the Master for a while. And I was just like, I cannot remember the last time where like, someone was just straight. Like, one that's coming to my head now is just Sutek. Just to kind of take straight up and up, kind of going, yeah, I am the destroyer of worlds. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> like so, here it's just like that. Like I like that, and uh, like I think that's not to say like that having a villain that you know kind of tries to schmooze mm. is a bad thing. It's not like it can, when it's done right, it's fantastic. But when it's done poorly, you kind of grates in you a small bit, and I think we've had that for a while. So just having this up and up, kind of going, yeah, I'm the villain. I'm a prisoner. I'm not going to be accepted. I don't live in another planet. I want to get rid of humanity. Deal with it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Hmm. I I did have a moment where I was like, oh look, it's the Phantom of the Opera in space. Um, <laughs> is is that what he put on the fucking cloak? Is it the cloak, the scar on half his face, <laughs> hiding behind fake panels, wanting to burn everything to the ground? You know. Christ, that actually, it really, it really is. <laughs> it's the Phantom of the Opera in space without the love mm. interest. Um, Masquerade! One of the things I found interesting about the Tyrolaptal plan, and particularly the leader, is that the other two aren't scared. No. And I'm like, he's making this big decision because he's scared. The other two can fucking go wherever they want. <laughs> like, why are they following him? And his batshit plan. <laughs> like, <laughs> why are they doing that? Um, like I said, I do think that like it is refreshing to have a villain who's honest. I think um, the fact that he's just like, you know, basically he came up with this plan and he's like, no, fuck it. This is my plan. He's like, oh, but... No, fuck off. This is my plan. Fuck off and leave me alone. Um, but I also like the fact that like he has clearly zero fear and zero reservation of like he puts things in place so that like people don't discover what he's doing while he's building his um while he's building his plan. But then he drives the car to London himself mm-hmm. with no additional support. I would have thought he would have had the Miller drive um but no he drives himself and i'm like okay fair enough (laughs) there was no like he didn't dress up with a mask and which is the one thing that you know he doesn't wear the mask in this he makes Mm -hmm. the wear the mask um but i think ultimately 
I said it was refreshing. It was interesting. I I question why the other two were fucking doing what he was saying because they could go wherever they want, and he could go as their friend. Um, yeah. like <laughs> I suppose maybe like in the intimidation factor. Like if he is like that's a the scar that he received is symbolic of like you've committed an unforgivable crime. You're yeah. you're nearly yeah, what you have is a life sentence to the salt mines essentially. So like to them maybe he's like a, he's our best chance of survival and we don't want to cross him type deal. Yeah, I do wonder he keeps them separate. Um mm-hmm. and I wonder if that was on purpose. <laughs> you know? Because I think had they been in the room when the doctor was giving his speech originally, being like, I'll find a new home for you, I'll find this, they may have been like, actually, don't fuck Scarface. <laughs> Let's go with this guy's <laughs> yeah. plan instead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to have a new uh, species, uh, a new mm-hmm. monster of the week, as it were. Um, the design was interesting. I said the reptilian nature of it was very good. Um and yeah, Phantom of the Opera in space. Yeah, well, Phantom a, of the Opera with aliens in the past. I'm a bit sad now that you mentioned from the trivia that they they're not brought back because, like, no. I'm curious. Like, just this one particular one and his backstory based on their society has made me interested to explore them more. I'm curious because the doctor says like, there's only one place in the galaxy you can get those scars. I'm like, mm-hmm. that is a story. Like that, that right there is a story in its own right. Um, mm-hmm. And the idea of there being a prison planet or a well-documented prison, um, and I'm trying to imagine like any of our doctors going there, like ending up there, um, and like having to deal with that, having to explain that to a human companion. I th- but there's a story right there, just in that mm-hmm. one line. Um, that, yeah, I think, I think it's unfortunate that they didn't explore it more. Mm-hmm. Sad times. So, another fun character discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think it's another fun one for, I think this is what, like three weeks on the trot now, where we're not entirely on the same page when discussing everyone. Yeah. Which is cool. Also, I have to laugh. Like two weeks ago, how I commented how like you hadn't outscored me for like was like a season and a half, and then, and then last week you <laughs> did a massive fucking difference. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what it's like this week because uh, we've now reached the overall section where Trish and I will each give a score out of five, uh, and because they who do socials go first, I did socials, so I should go be going first. Um. Overall, I really enjoyed the story. I did. Uh, I enjoyed the setting. Uh, going back to an actual historical event, I know that it's not an out-and-out historical because of the science fiction elements in it, but it's an actual event. The Great Fire of London was the thing. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed Mace. A lot, <laughs> as then said. Uh, I thought there were some interesting things done with the companions from my perspective. Um, the villain was interesting. I'm, I want to know more. As you said, there's a story right there and there. If 
someone decides to go back and watch this and present it uh, for the upcoming seasons. Um, for me, though, the biggest detractor for this story was the Doctor himself. Mm. Um, and it was some of his interactions with his companions throughout the first three stories where he's like this, he's exasperated. And one part of me is like, okay, try maybe see from his perspective if he looked older or if he was one of his previous incarnations, would they be, you know, quote unquote, challenging him this much? Mm. But that kind of flies out the window with his complete 180 personality turn in the last half of the last episode where it's just like, where is this whole seek approval from your Lord and master type attitude coming from? It really kind of distracts me. And it kind of like the, the final sequence in the bakery, the struggle, you know, with the fire starting and like, that is actually kind of intense mm. and it is well done, I think, but the build up to it is spoiled because of the doctor's attitude. It actually kind of breaks my immersion a small bit. Um, also, I'm reminded of a conversation we had when we were doing the Romans, all the way back doing the Romans, and the Doctor's reaction to inadvertently starting the Great Fire of Rome. And, like, it was a bit, you know, shall we say, uh, inappropriate, because, you know, he has his little giggle. And here the doctor kind of smiles about, you know, oh, we should let this one take its course, you know. Like, I'll tell you why later on. And I'm like, dude, this is a terrible fucking fire. I looked it up. Apparently the death toll for this was only eight people. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a surprising given, like, you know, the fact that, like, capital city of England, the infrastructure that was there that this fucking fire I think went for a couple of days before it was fully put out so I'm amazed that there was only eight fatalities but like still like, and it wasn't a gallows humor kind of smile or a sad smile it was sort of oh this will be fun to tell them type thing you know mm. um, so yeah that kind of kind of kind of killed it a small bit for me in this one so but overall as I said I enjoyed the story I wasn't bored for any of it I thought the robot was a sec was a great secondary antagonist, and the bit which the confrontation between him and Nissa was enjoyable, and Nissa's reaction afterwards was great. Sarah Sutton did a great job in the story. Uh, I agree that Nissa is my favorite of the three at the moment, mm. uh, so I'm giving this a four point two five out of five. Very good, very good. Um, for me, I okay. I'll talk about the negatives first. Then I'll do a quick clarification, then I'll talk about the positives. So, I don't really appreciate stories where the Doctor's being an asshole for no reason. Um, mm -hmm. And I find them very distracting. Um, yes. I have mentioned in previous stories how I find it difficult to connect with Peter Davison as the Doctor. And I would hope that would have settled by now. Um, mm -hmm. But it's really not because they're not giving him consistency in his character. And I'm, I'm not sure if it's because the things are being filmed so massively out of order. I think it is. Because um, I, I, you, you made similar comments about Janet Fielding back in Fort Doomsday. And because yeah. of the shooting block schedule, I think it really fucks with the guy's ability to actually nail the character. Yeah, but like... 
it's been going on for a while now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's getting it's getting quite annoying. Um, I do think as well, like, personally, I didn't connect with Richard Mace um, in terms of the, the acting done by the actor. Um, I do think as well that each one of our main characters had a moment or two where I think the acting just fell flat. The line reads didn't really gel well. I, I said this to you earlier on at lunch. Or after lunch, mm-hmm. rather. I found the acting in this to be a bit dodgy at times. Like, lines just being flat or not having the emotional welly that they should. Again, like going back to Adric's comments, you know, like that you were like him being introspective. I just found it, him being whiny and annoying because I, I think Matthew Waters didn't give it the emotion that it should have. I didn't get the frustration and the fear and the whatever I would expect to get in a scene of someone just being like, I, like everything I do goes wrong. I just want to help. And I, I, I didn't get that, um, which I find very annoying. My clarification point. Like I said, I usually watch these stories in one go. I did fall asleep during episode four. <laughs> that wasn't because the story made me sleepy. I was just sleepy. So I did have to watch episode four again today. And watching it properly the second time, I did... I did appreciate more of it. Um, and our discussion has highlighted a lot of things that I did actually like. Um, in terms of things I did like, I'm continuing to really like Nyssa and I really want them to give her more to work with and more to showcase. Um, I think Tegan was grand, some really good moments. I said a couple of dodgy bits here and there um, from an acting perspective from Janet, but overall well done. Um, the Terralaptals I found really interesting. Uh, Mace I found interesting as a character. It wasn't a big fan of the portrayal, but I found the character really interesting. Um, so for me, I gave it a 3.5. Um, I think had a few small tweaks been made, I probably would have connected with it more. But then again, had they made those tweaks, maybe you wouldn't have connected with it as much. So like I said, I think a lot of mm. it is coming down to very much personal preference. I don't. Th- I don't even think it's our interpretation of the story that's differing this time. I think it's just personal preference. Um, yeah. For example, my personal preference is if you're going to do a historical story around a true historical event, give me a, give me a true historical for fuck's sake. Um, yeah. But I know I'm not going to get that, so there's no point. So, I said for me, it's you know three point five like. In terms of historical rankings, that puts it on par with last week and also Castro Valva. So this tends to be a bit of a 3.5 season for me. Um, I know you and I disagreed on last week. Um, but like, you know, with last week, for example, uh, I thought Tegan's possession was absolutely fantastic. I think, I, think that, I think that's what was missing for me in this. There was lots of bits I liked, but there was nothing where I was like, that was fucking amazing. I, I loved mm-hmm. that moment. Um, whereas I did have that last week with Tegan and her being possessed by the Mara, the whole thing in her mind. I loved all of that. Um, and it really struck me. And I didn't really get that with this one. But there was more little things that I liked that last week didn't have. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's this um, mm-hmm. combination of two. Uh, not that I need to explain myself, but I will anyway. Um, yeah. So with that um i'm still ranking higher than you this season because of your two last week <laughs> for kenda um 
So uh, for me, it has now passed a three on average. Yours just said 2.94. Um, next week is going to be an interesting one. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly an interesting one for you. Because uh, it's only two episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't had a two-parter since Centauran. Edge of the... St- Oh, yes, Santaran. I was going to say Edge of Destruction, but no Santaran no, experiment. Sontaran. Yeah, so yeah. Um, that's going to be interesting. However, I will say right now, there are clowns. So it's automatically starting at a four because there are clowns. <laughs> <laughs> at least for me. Um. But yeah, and actually, no, you made the, the, the interesting thing there about personal preference. And like, my mind kind of goes back to our discussion on the deadly assassin. Mm. And I remember like we were having a kind of discussion at the point, which was like, um, the violence in it. And here we have like, here the level of overacting by Mace. And <clears throat> like, it may not be. Like, as I said, I think he was akin to a bit of, you know, Jago. And going back to the Assassin, I know, like, you're not opposed to certain things that were portrayed in that story. But I'm like, we made the point here about personal preference. I remember what we said, which was, it depends on your preference. And that is a place for everything and everything in its place. Mm. So, like, aspects of the story in a different capacity, you might have liked somewhere else down the line. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But on that note, we shall leave it. Yeah. And we Absolutely. shall talk to you next time. And yes, indeed. So, guys, we see us in next week for The Black Orchid. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.